As our children are going to Children's Church, let's turn to Romans chapter 16. In Luke 18, 8, Jesus asked this penetrating question. When the Son of Man returns, will he find the faith on the earth? When the Son of Man returns, will he find the faith on the earth? Not, not just faith, there will be people who believe in rocks and trees and all kinds of things, but will he find the faith, the faith once delivered for all to the saints. Your faith is constantly being tried. How is it going to stand up? And the faith of uh, the church, the things we believe, is constantly under attack, and, and often believers are under attack themselves because of standing for the faith. It is under relentless attacks from all sides, inside the church and out. So who will earnestly contend for the faith? Last week we looked at Romans 16 verses 17 and 18. And because the passage we're going to look at today is so tied in with that, let's start there. Verse 17 of Romans 16 says, Now I urge you, brethren... Note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ but their own appetites and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So this is about keeping the faith. When the Son of Man returns, will he find the faith on the earth? And uh, as for us, may we say, yes, by God's grace, he will find the faith here. He'll find the faith among us. He'll find the faith in, in my life. Paul talks about their, um, their obedience to the faith, their testimony of keeping the faith in verse 19. For your obedience has become known to all. What a great thing to have said of them. Your obedience has become known to all. Consider how widespread that is. Uh, everyone in the Christian church throughout the world at that time was talking about the obedience of these Roman Christians. They were well known for that. They were famous for obedience. If you could be famous for something, what would it be? What would you like to be known for? Or as the uh, 
old TV commercial used to ask, what would you like on your tombstone? What, what do you want people to know about you? People who are famous in our day, uh, what are they famous for? Because they can act or sing or otherwise entertain or um, uh, make money or they're in powerful positions or whatever. They can dunk a basketball. And people are famous for those kinds of things. What do you want to be famous for? The, the church at Rome was famous for this, their obedience. A certain pastor, uh, Dr. Robertson by name, was approached one day by a lady in his community. She said that she was alarmed to hear how loose things were getting down at First Church. What do you mean loose, he asked. You know, new innovative ideas like what he pressed like reading the Ten Commandments as part of the worship service oh that we plan to get even more innovative as a church we actually plan to start keeping them <laughs> most churches are not known for their obedience but what a great testimony for your obedience has become known to all. But the testimony of their obedience is tied to something else. It's tied to the testimony of their faith. That actually their obedience grows out of their faith. Go back to the beginning of this wonderful book of Romans. Look where we started um, about 20 months ago. Romans chapter 1. Verse 8, Romans 1, 8. And what's interesting about these kinds of statements is that we find them at the very beginning and at the very end of Romans. He's, uh, he's tying these together, reminding them of the things that, that he is praising God for about them. Romans 1, 8 says, First... I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. So we saw at the beginning of Romans, they were famous for faith. Now we're saying at the end of Romans, you are famous for obedience. And those two things are tied together. Look at verse 5 of Romans 1. Through him, that is through Christ, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. And that's the idea. It's not just having a faith. Paul wasn't interested in people just having some kind of generic faith or just trusting in something, but a faith in Christ that leads to obedience to Christ. We have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith. Back in, uh, if you go back to the end of Romans again, uh, this time look at verse 18 of chapter 15, where Paul is recounting his uh, missionary uh, journeys. Romans 15, 18, he says, for I, dare, for I will not dare to speak of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me, in word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient. 
not to just bring some kind of faith about, but a faith that would cause them to be obedient. In fact, if you look at the end of chapter 16, verse 25 and 26. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, and all of that for obedience to the faith. All those phrases leading up to this, those wonderful phrases, all leading to something that is to obedience to the faith. That people would not only believe in Christ, but obey Christ. Not only believe the gospel, but live the gospel. So the testimony of keeping their faith was their obedience. Obedience to the faith. But he tells them to, to keep on doing that. Continue keeping the faith. Now back to Romans 16 and verse 19. Romans 16, 19. For your obedience has been known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf. I am rejoicing with you about this. But, slight adversative day here. Uh, but, there, there's something more. He could have ended on that positive note and just say, I'm rejoicing with you that you're obedient. But, there's something more. But you need to continue keeping the faith. Don't take it for granted because... If you look at last week and this last month, maybe you've, you've been successful in obeying the faith. But how about today? And how about next week and next month? You, we need to strive to continue to keep the faith. And that's what he is talking about here. But I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Be wise concerning the things that are good. Be simple or innocent concerning the things that are evil. Be wise in what is good. Well, what does it mean to be wise? Being wise is more than knowing or understanding. Being wise, according to the scripture, is living. And that's true both in the Old Testament and New Testament teachings on what wisdom is all about. The whole book of Proverbs, the idea of a wise person is one who is living according to God. Look at James chapter 3. James is kind of my go-to passage about wisdom. Uh, he has some wonderful things to say about how we should look at Wisdom. How do you count wisdom in this world? This is really a wise person. What makes them wise? By whose standard? Well, we, we want to measure wisdom from a heavenly standard. What does God say about wisdom? What, what does He mean by we, we can be and should be wise concerning what is good? What would that wisdom look like? So, James chapter 3, starting at verse 13. 
Who is wise and understanding among you? So how, how do you tell that? How do you gauge that? Who's wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom is meek, not self-promoting. And wisdom, true wisdom, which is from God, will lead to the obedience to the faith. Let him show by his conduct, his obedience to the faith, that he has the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This kind of wisdom, the kind that is envious and self-seeking, does not come down from above, but is earthly, sensual. In fact, it is demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But now look at, look at a picture, a description of true wisdom, the wisdom which is from above, the kind of wisdom that God gives. But the wisdom that is from above is, first of all, really high IQ. I mean, what would you expect to find here? The, the kind of wisdom that God could give is, first of all, pure. A word connected to the idea of holiness. The wisdom that is from above, God's kind of wisdom, first of all, how will you note it? It is first of all primarily pure. Then it is also peaceable instead of envious and self-seeking and so forth. It is peaceable and gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So that be wise in what is good, you're, to, the way to measure your wisdom is this way. Is, does it look like this in pursuing the things that are pure, that, that are good? Go to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. <clears throat> Paul is commending them for their obedience to the faith, but he tells them to continue to be wise about what is good. Be wise in what is good. So what's good? We've looked at a description of what is wise. Now what's good? Well, here's uh, some standards to measure it by, Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue or excellency about it, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Set your mind on those kinds of things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. So as you 
seek to be wise in what is good, and you're wondering, is this good or not good? Well, here's a, an example of a list of things that you can measure it by. How does it measure up to this? Be wise in what is good. Being wise is more than knowledge, more than understanding. It is living the truth. So it's, it's not just knowing the truth, not just having truth, not just memorizing Scripture, but, but living it. A person could be an expert on the U.S. Constitution, know all about laws, and yet break them with regularity. We call such a person a politician. <laughs> but we, we run the same danger of being able to quote massive amounts of this book, tell other people about it, be experts in it, and yet not live it. Be wise about the things that are good, but be simple or unmixed concerning the things that are evil. The word simple there could also be translated innocent, but I like the, just the... Uh, um, the normal translation would be unmixed. Be unmixed. You could, you could think of that as being, don't be mixed up about the things that are, that are evil. But the idea of this word for unmixed was applied to things like metals, not mixing uh, different kinds of or, uh, metals together that might weak, weaken one, or mixing water with wine, as uh, merchants would sometimes do, in order to uh, allow their produce to go further and their sales to go up, uh, their profit to go up, they would mix water with wine. And so if water was not mixed in, it was just pure wine, it would be this word, unmixed. Don't mix what is good with what is evil. Don't add into any measure of evil into your good life. Don't let evil be mixed in with your good. How familiar are you with the things which are good? Uh, the Philippians 4, 8, 9 kind of good. Meet those standards. How familiar are you with those things which are good? And how familiar are you with those things which are evil? People sometimes seem to think that you have to have some kind of interaction with things that are evil so you know what the world is like. Well, you, you don't have to partake of arsenic to know it's not good for you. Second man, I had the privilege to lead to Christ. His name was Tom. He was in the military. Tom, after just a couple of months of his young walk in the Lord, decided he was going to do bar evangelism. And Jay and I, the first, Jay is the first guy I led to Christ, Jay and I warned him, I don't think that's a good idea. I can do it, I'll be strong enough, and where else are you going to find sinners? Well, Everywhere. You don't have to go to a bar to find sinners. I mean, there's a few in here. 
Tom quit coming to church. Tom dropped out of the Christian life altogether. He wanted to mix in evil with good, thinking that the good would overcome the evil. Do not mix evil in your good. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. It will ruin you. Be unmixed with evil. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 20. First Corinthians fourteen twenty says, Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babies, be infants, be little children, but in understanding be mature. Be grown up, be mature, be wise about the things that are good. But the things that are evil, like malice, be innocent, like children. There is something wonderful, isn't there, about the innocence of children. In the children, a small baby or small child, toddler, doesn't know about genocide in the world. And that's good. They don't know about rape and murder and theft and things like that. Something just disarming about the innocence of children. And they're so cute and beautiful and innocent and then they turn two. (laughs) And what was in the heart from the beginning starts coming out. I love talking with kids about when they're thinking about being baptized and want to know about it and trying to discern whether they're ready or not is always kind of an iffy thing. You know, it's hard to detect. You have to, it takes a lot of discernment. And I just pray that God would grant me. But I talk to them about sin, talk to children about the issue of sin. I was talking to uh, Madison Sweet about sin and what sin was. And I told her that everybody has sinned. I said, w- Would you believe that even I have sinned? Oh, yes. <laughs> she was much too quick. <laughs> I wanted to expand the circle a little bit, so I said, would you believe that Parker has sinned? She rolled her eyes. <laughs> oh, yes. I want to explore that a little bit, but decided it probably wasn't the time. He's really sinned. Yeah. <laughs> I said, Madison, you know that you have sinned. She just bowed her head. Yes. And uh, I just wanted to grab her up and hug her and 
But there's something special about the innocence of children, but there's also something special about children understanding something about sin. And we, you know, we'd like to protect our children from the knowledge of sin, if we could, right? I mean, if they could live in a bubble all their life, and that's just not possible because we live in this world and there are sinners out there and there's a sinner in here. But what Paul is telling the Romans here, as much as is possible, have nothing to do with evil. Be innocent, like a child, about evil stuff. Don't read about it. Don't look it up on your computer. Don't engage in it. Don't talk about it. Be innocent regarding evil. Now, Romans 16.20. Paul had been addressing the false teachers in verses 17 and 18. Uh, the false teachers who might move us away from the faith. And now in verse 20, Paul turns from the visible enemy to the invisible foe who is behind all of those attacks of the faith. The one who is behind the deceptive teaching, the destructive doctrine. And Paul tells us of the assurance of victory over that one in verse 20. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Uh, First of all, the victory is God's. God is the one who does it. The God of peace will crush Satan. Probably this is a fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. Remember back to the garden and the, the cursing of the man and the woman and God turns his attention to the serpent and uh There would be enmity uh, between the seed of woman, the seed of the serpent, all down through the years. And one day, the serpent would crush his heel, but this one promised one coming would crush the serpent's head. This is probably in reference to fulfillment of that. Um, But notice how it's worded. Doesn't it seem kind of incompatible here? The God of peace, the God of peace will crush Satan. It doesn't sound very peaceful, does it? He's going to do it peacefully. (laughs) You know, quietly. But the God of peace will crush Satan. Well, as incompatible as those two ideas, peace and crush, seem to be, there's a reminder here that there is no peace. There is no peace as long as Satan is still roaming, deluding people, influencing for evil. God will bring final and lasting peace when he crushes Satan. And you read to the end of this book, the end of Revelation, and you see the final defeat of Satan. And then comes eternal peace. 
There is no peace on this earth until he is finally defeated, and he will be. The God of peace will crush him. It's a guaranteed victory. But there's also no peace in your own life as long as you let Satan or his influence, not that Satan himself will pick you out personally, but he has a lot of co-workers, a lot of willing subjects who are human beings who do his bidding. As long as you allow satanic influence of any kind in your life, you will have no peace. But the God of peace will crush Satan. The victory is not only God's, it is ours. Notice he says, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Under your feet. Not that we conquer Satan. We are never told in the Scriptures to go out and wage war against Satan. We are told to resist the devil and he will flee from you. But don't try to wage war against him. You're not up to it. If the archangel Michael was not up to it, don't think that you are. But the God of peace will do the crushing under your feet. I think that that means that, as Paul said earlier in Romans 8.37, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So that because we are, um, we don't bring about the victory, but we are co-heirs with Christ. And because Christ brings about the victory, just as we inherit with Him, we also are victorious in Him. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. He will crush Satan. We share in the victory. The victory is swift. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. That doesn't mean right away. Paul wrote this a couple thousand years ago. But it means uh, quickly. When it happens, it's going to be quick. In fact, the Greek term here is is a kind of amusing pun. It's in taxi. He's going to crush him in, like in a taxi. Uh, that swiftly. If you've, I've driven, rode in a taxi in San Jose, Costa Rica once. <laughs> they don't have very many stop signs or lights or anything. They have traffic circles and sometimes five or six ro- roads will come together in these traffic circles and the traffic is just spinning around it. And the taxi driver, while he's talking to you, <laughs> just kind of weaves into it and somehow gets thrown out the other side and you're still alive. I rode in taxi once in Costa Rica. Eric Cordero was much more uh, uh, conscientious driver when Americans are with him. But in taxi means... Uh, it will, it will, when it comes, it will come swiftly. Uh, Roman, uh, excuse me, Revelation 19 talks about the second coming of Christ with all his hosts in heaven and he's coming on this white horse and all the armies of the earth are gathered against him and Satan and the false prophet and, and they're conquered. There's no battle. 
There, there's no conflict. It's just, it's done. That, Christ comes, they're done. He will crush him quickly. And then finally, the victory is by grace. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet quickly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And until that time, until the end of all things, what we need most is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every day, His grace. We live by grace and faith in Him. Our faith is a faith that is obedient by His grace. We conquer, we will persevere, we will make it to the end by His grace.